is in fact alive. Wide awake, as Brother Doug said earlier. Wide awake. And we are here to worship him this afternoon. Happy Easter, family. Happy Resurrection Sunday, family and friends. Jesus lived. He died. But he got up. He got up. Amen? And that's why we're here. Because of Jesus. We are here because he got up. Because he lived in our place. He died in our place. And he rose in our place. And so we are here to remember and to, to celebrate the Lord Jesus' glorious resurrection. But we don't just do that on today, do we? For believers, we do that every day, 24-7. As we are reminded of what Jesus has done in our place. Yeah, we're we going to celebrate today, but we do that all day, all year. Because Jesus is alive. Amen. If you're visiting with us, let me extend just another warm welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here with us uh, this afternoon as we uh, get to worship Jesus together. If you are in need of a Bible, uh, just just raise your hand and uh, we can get a Bible to you if you need a Bible. Uh you can get one to you if you need one. Just let us know. Raise your hand. And if you do, uh, consider it. My son, he raised his hand. You do need a Bible, don't you, son? <laughs> You're going to look on with mommy, okay? Good, good, good. Amen, amen. Well, let me get everybody to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21 is where we're going to be. It's going to be on the screen and if you could turn there. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21 is where we're going to be. And as you, as you turn there or if, you, if you're scrolling there, uh, let, me, let me just say this. I've been praying for you all this week. I've been praying for, for everyone this week, CHCC members and, and visitors alike. And what I've been praying specifically is that this Easter, this day, this Resurrection Sunday, wouldn't be like Easter's in the past. That it wouldn't be, you know, like Resurrection Sundays in the past for Christians and for non-Christians. So for Christians, here's what I've been praying specifically. My prayer has been that you and I wouldn't come to a service like this today or hear a sermon like this today with the posture of I've heard and seen that before. That we wouldn't come and, 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 yeah, come with a posture like, man, I, I've, I've heard and I've seen this before, that you've heard a thousand sermons on the resurrection, right? My prayer for you and for me is that we would come expectant, that when you came through these doors, that you came expectant and trusting that the Lord would do something, that he would do something in you and me, and that he would do something in those who may not know him yet. And that as you hear the word of God this afternoon, that it might hit you in a fresh way. That it might hit you in a fresh way. And that you would continue to have faith in our resurrected Lord. And for, for non-Christians who may be here, my prayer is that your hearts would be softened. That your hearts would be softened to the truth of Jesus, to his love that, that he displayed 
in coming and living and dying and rising in your place and in my place. That was love. Jesus did that because of his love for you and for me. And so my prayer is that if you're here and you don't know the Lord, that you wouldn't leave out these doors the same. That you would leave saved, confident, assured in your faith this afternoon that you would be saved. That's my prayer for all of us and for all of the gatherings that have taken place today, this morning and this afternoon or late this evening, that, that people here and all across the world would experience Christ today, be impacted by him today. And so in, towards that end, let us, let us pray now before we dive into God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this afternoon once again. Thank you for bringing us all here, for your grace and mercy surely carrying us here today. God, thank you for allowing us to, to gather this afternoon to worship you, Lord Jesus, to worship not a dead Lord or a dead Savior, but a risen Lord, a risen Savior, who defeated all of our enemies, who defeated death, who defeated Satan, who defeated the grave. And it is because of him that we are here this afternoon. It is because of him that we have faith, that we are saved. And so, God, we pray in the name of Jesus that as the word goes forth now, that it will do what you intend, Lord that it will work, that your word by your spirit would do the work in all of our hearts this afternoon, how you see fit, Christians and non-Christians alike, that we would hear from you, and that we would obey you and worship you. Lord Jesus, please help us to do that. Guard this time. May we not be distracted. May we be in tune to you and in tune to what you have to say to us from your word. I pray, God, that, that you would increase and that I would decrease and that you would get the glory out of all that's done here in this time and that you have been getting the glory throughout the entire service. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Starting at verse 14 reads as follows. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, 
In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word, family. Amen. So a little background on the book of 2 Corinthians. A little bit of background is that the Apostle Paul is the author, and he's writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, this is his second letter uh, to the church at Corinth. Uh, the church at Corinth, along with Corinth as a, a place, was experiencing a lot of challenges. In fact, the church at Corinth at this time was wilding out. There was a, a lot going on in the church in this time. They had a lot of issues going on, like divisions in the church. Paul mentions that in chapter 1 of, of 1 Corinthians. They had issues surrounding sexual sin. They had issues where, where Paul was addressing false teaching of wolves that had came into the church and was trying to lead the sheep astray, and so forth and so forth. Not anything new, right, than what we may see happening in some churches today or in our culture today, right? But this was never God's intent for his church or believers. So he's writing to the church to address these matters and to instruct them on how to deal with these matters. So the immediate context for our passage is found in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 5, where Paul starts off by pointing to the hope, to the hope we all have as Christians in God, that he is going to give us new bodies. He's going to give us new bodies. So our current bodies are temporary, right? They're temporary. They're, they're, they're broken, they're beat up, they're battered. But God is going to give us, those who are in Christ, glorified bodies on that day when we are with him. He's going to give us new bodies, glorified bodies. So that's the context. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1, look what it says. It says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Look at verse 6. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
right? Then he continues on and he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So once again, yeah, we groan in this current tent, this current body. God is going to give us new bodies. He's going to give us a new home, a heavenly home. And then he also, as I read here in verse 10, that we are going to be judged, going to be judged according to what we have done in our bodies, the good and the evil, as it says here. But in verses 11 through the passage we're studying together this afternoon, we learn that God has reconciled sinners, that God has reconciled sinners in himself through Christ and that he then commissions believers to spread that message of reconciliation, right? To spread that message. So if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, here's the main idea of our passage that we're studying this afternoon. Here's, here's the main idea is that Jesus died and rose to reconcile us to God and then to commission us to spread his message of reconciliation. That's what we're going to see in verses 14 through 21, is that this is the main overarching theme of this passage. The main point is that Jesus died and rose to reconcile you and me to God and then commissions us to spread his message of reconciliation. That's what we're going to see. So a three-point outline, if you're taking notes, here are the three points. Is that number one, a death worth dying. A death worth dying. We'll see that in verses 14 through 15. Point number two, a life worth living. A life worth living. We'll see that in verses 16 through 19. And then number three, a ministry worth giving your life to. A ministry worth giving your life to. So number one, a death worth dying. Number two, a life worth living. Number three, a ministry worth giving your life life too. Your life and my life too. So let's look at point number one. Point number one, a death worth dying. Starting at verse 14. Look back with me at verse 14. It should pop up on the screen as well, but look down in your Bibles with me. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised so paul here in verse 14 after addressing those who are who are saying he along with the other apostles are boasting about outward appearances right and not what is in the heart right you see that in verse 12 look at verse 12 right where he says we are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So what Paul is doing there, he's addressing them for them saying that, man, he is boasting or the other apostles are also boasting about outward appearances and not what is in the heart. In other words, Paul says our boast shouldn't be in our outward appearances, 
but in God alone. And in the work he has done on the inside, the stuff that folk can't see, that people can't see in our hearts. So we don't boast on, you know, I mean, none of us should boast, none, Paul and the other apostles, you don't boast in outward appearances, what folks look like. But in what the Lord has done on the inside of someone who has been transformed by God. Then he says in verse 14, he says that it's Christ's love that controls us. Other translations, and I love how other translations say this, like compel. It's Christ's love, love that compels us. In other words, they are compelled by Christ's love to do life in ministry. Compelled, controlled by Christ's love to do life and to do ministry Christ's love has, has gripped their hearts and then pushes them to do what they do. The same should be for us, right, family? The same should be true of us. For example, it's because of Christ's love compelling us that the group went out to share the gospel this morning. Because of Christ's love compelling them, compelling us week after week to go and proclaim his love so that others might experience his love in the same way that we do right Christ's love compelling us Christ's love compelling us to gather here week in and week out Sunday after Sunday to worship him for his love Christ's love compelling us to help meet specific needs in the community or in our membership Christ's love compelling each and every one of us to love one another, to care for one another, and to point one another to Jesus. So we have been saved by his love, and we worship because of his love. Think about 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. He first loved you and me. And because of his love for us, motivates us to then love one another. And to love the world. And love the world enough to share his message of love with them. So the question is, if you're not doing these things because you're compelled by Christ's love, then my question would be for you, for me, what's compelling you? What's compelling you? Is it yourself? And when I say self, I'm referring to our worldly desires, our sinful flesh, are you, am I, doing things so that you yourself and others can boast in you? Are we doing it because we want folks to boast in us, to give us some recognition on the low? Like you're doing it because you want some attention? Be careful, family and friends, and make sure that our motives for doing things aren't rooted in sin and not the sun. Be careful that our motives for doing things are not rooted in sin and not the sun, the Lord Jesus. Not only 
Should Christ's love control us? But it also gives us confidence. We've been singing about that, right? We've been talking about confidence. Paul says here in the verse, we have concluded. Which means we have determined. We have concluded. And what is it that he and the apostles conclude? Look back with me. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what he has concluded. This is what the apostles have concluded. That Jesus died for all. Jesus died for all who would put their trust in him. So the question is, why did he die? Why did he die? I'm glad you asked. This takes us back to the very beginning where God created the whole world. He created the whole world, and he created the first man and woman and all human beings since uniquely in his image, after his likeness. And at that time, God and humanity were cooling. They were cooling. They were chilling until Satan comes and deceives them into disobeying God, to disobey him. And because of their disobedience against God, sin entered into the world like a disease infecting everyone and everything it came into contact with. And because of this disease that we all have, we all now deserve God's judgment, which is death and worse Death in hell, which means being cast away from God's presence, never to have an opportunity to be with him again. This is what we deserve. The scripture says that the wrath of God abides over our heads. It's awaiting us for those who are in Christ. But God provided a cure. That's what we're celebrating this weekend, right? But all of life. But God provided a cure. He provided a remedy for our disease in his son, Jesus, as he comes and he lives a perfect sinless life. Right? Jesus, unlike Adam, didn't fall. He didn't give in to the temptation when he was being tempted by Satan. He didn't give in. He overcame the temptation. Because he's God. And where, where Adam sinned, Jesus didn't sin because he's God, because he's perfect. The Bible says elsewhere that he's able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses, being tempted in every way, yet without sin. This is the Lord Jesus. So he lives a perfect, sinless life. He keeps God's commands completely and fully so he lives a life that none of us could ever live but then he dies the death that we all deserve and this was a death worth dying because only Jesus could die it for you and me because only God can take the wrath of God and God sent his son Jesus who is God to incur to, to take on the wrath that you and I deserved because of our sin. 
Jesus had no sin for which he had to die for. He's God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's good. But the love of God in the Lord Jesus is that Jesus, although he had no sin for which he had to die for, he goes to the cross for your sin and my sin, willingly and willfully. And he dies that death. And then he is buried. And, and was, think about this, like he's crucified on a cross, the worst kinds of death, an excruciating death. Jesus took pain of inflicted upon him. Dying on a cross, being nailed to a cross, being pierced in the side. Being before that, he's, he was flogged. He was spit on. A crown of thorns put on his head. They mocked him. This is God in the flesh dying this death for you and me. I mean, just think about that, what he went through for us. He didn't have to, but he did because of his great love for you and for me. So he dies that death, and he's buried in a grave. He's in a grave, six feet deep, in a grave, dead. But then he, on the third day, is raised. He's resurrected by the power of the Spirit on the third day, defeating death, defeating Satan, defeating sin, defeating all of our enemies. And he offers life. He offers life, eternal life for all who would repent of their sin, which means to turn away from sin, to turn away from all the things that God hates and to turn to him by faith, by trust, only in what he has done alone. And the Bible says, if you do that, if you confess your sin, if you turn away from your sin, and you believe upon Jesus for salvation, that you'll be saved. That you'll be saved. This is the good news that we are celebrating this weekend, but, but all throughout the year, as this good news is always accessible, always available. God's arms are open wide for all who would come to him. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, turn today. Turn from your sin. And turn to him by faith this afternoon, by putting your trust in him for salvation. This will be the best decision you could ever make. May this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, be the day of salvation for you. Don't delay. Tomorrow isn't promised to you or to any of us. A reminder of Hebrews 10, 31 where it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, we don't want you to fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. We instead want you to fall into the hands of the living God, being reconciled to him, experiencing his great love like the rest of the Christians here gathered now, being caught up in his love. So if you are here and you're not a Christian, you would like to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, come talk to me after the service. Uh, talk with any of the other Christians here this afternoon or the Christian friend who might have invited you. It would be our joy 
to help you begin your walk with Jesus this afternoon. So don't delay. We would love to talk with you further. As we move along in the passage, notice something else here in verse 14. He died for all, right? What I love about this, what I love about this is that there wasn't any bias or prejudice or racism or classism or sexism or any type of ism when it came to Jesus' death, was it? None at all. He died for all types of people, for people of all different backgrounds, different skin colors, job professions, preferences, likes and dislikes, where you live, et cetera, et cetera. This is good news. Jesus died for all types of people, all who would repent of their sins and trust in Jesus by faith are, are welcome. Then in verse 14, we have an interesting phrase that comes after, right? Look there with me where it says is that, therefore, all have died. What Paul is referring to here is, and I love how Pastor Tony Evans puts it, he puts it, he says, in thinking about, therefore, all have died, that is, the penalty for all sin has been paid by Christ's sacrifice. Thus, the barrier between God and people have been removed. And Paul wants all people to hear, believe, and receive that good news of forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. So, Christ died, all have died, that all might come to know him, if they repent of their sins and receive him by faith, and that the barrier between God and man has been broken because of Christ and what he has done. Lastly, Jesus died for us so that we would live for him and not ourselves. You see that in the text, right? Look at verse 15. It says, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you're a Christian here this afternoon, your life is not your own. My life is not my own. It is the Lord's. You weren't made, you weren't saved to live for yourself. You were made and you were saved to live for Jesus. The cost was too high for you to continue to live occupied with self. Only your wants or your desires, your preferences. Jesus died and rose for you and me to be consumed with him and not ourselves. So it's not about us. It's about Jesus. He is our lives. He is our lives. I'm reminded of Galatians 2.20, here where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, Christ is your life. Christ is my life. And we are to live as such. We are to live enamored with him, his love for us, and not ourselves. Not ourselves. This doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't do the necessary things that, that we know we are supposed to do or take care of particular needs. I don't want you to hear that. But what Paul is saying here and what we see all throughout Scripture is that 
Our lives are his. Which means if our lives are his, it means he rules and reigns. Which means he has full say in our lives, in what we do, and how we do it. And we are to, we are to uh, come to him and ask for direction, ask for guidance, ask for leadership. Come to his word and be led by him to do this or to do that. To seek wisdom from him. We are to live a life pleasing to him. He is our lives. He rules and he reigns. Our lives are not our own anymore. So may we continue to live as such. So point number one, a death worth dying. So this was a death worth dying that Jesus could only die for us. At least to point number two, a life worth living. A life worth living. Look back with me at verse 16. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in verse 16, Paul is saying that we shouldn't regard no one according to the flesh. He says, he and others, as you see there in the text, once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but not anymore. What Paul is saying here is that we shouldn't view people in light of their physical appearances. When you think about uh, your skin color, your age, uh, we're not talking color blindness and nothing like that. But what we're talking about is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't view people in light of our physical appearances, but according to their spiritual destinies. One commentator says it this way. He says, before Paul's conversion, Paul had thought of Jesus as merely human. But knowing that Jesus died for all and then got up from the grave and caused people to live for him, that in light of that truth, he doesn't view things from a human point of view anymore. And neither should we. Here's what he's also saying. Here's what he's also saying. He's viewing these things in a supernatural sense. In a supernatural sense. An otherworldly perspective. So think about it. What Jesus did was an otherworldly event. This was a supernatural act that someone who died was then resurrected from the dead. This is a supernatural work that only God could do. Something that only he could do. And Paul even says that in verse 18. If you look down, we're going to get there in a second. But if you look back at verse 18, what he said, all this is from God. All of this is from God. All of what God has done is from him. He did it. So when we think about not viewing people in light of these particular things, once again, I'm not saying that we are, yeah, we know. We know the differences and we know the, you know what I mean, like the different, um, yeah, ways and, and, and things, you know, that make us unique, that are beautiful in God's sight. But what what Paul is saying here is, is amazing in that for Christians, viewing one another in a supernatural sense in that Christ has raised you from the dead. 
spiritually. One point of application as I was thinking about this, when we think about not viewing one another in these ways, one point of application as I was reflecting on this is that we as Christians should be careful to not regard believers in the flesh. Their appearances, their motives, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we know that we're all fallen, that we're all sinful, and we're going to sin against one another and disappoint one another at times. But God has done a supernatural work in our lives if we are Christians, and in light of that, we should assume the best about one another. So if someone says something in a way, I'm talking about believers, if someone says something in a way to you that hits you in a negative way, Assume maybe that he or she didn't mean it that way. And then ask the person for clarity about what they said or how they said it before jumping to conclusions. Also, assume the best about a believer's motives before jumping to conclusion about that person without actually asking what he or she meant. Remember that other Christians, just like you and just like me, are human. And we all have feelings, just like you, just like me. And when we think about and when we uh, talk about that person or them or whomever to others, or if we talk to them directly, that we need to strive to be godly. When we think about we're Christians and there's been a supernatural work that has taken place in all of our hearts. So in light of that, we must strive to be godly. Pray before you talk. Pray before you talk, text, or email. Respond in a way as if God is standing right there, and he is present. He does see the text. He also sees the email. He also hears the conversations. So respond in a way as if God is there, and he is very much present. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting you not to say something, maybe you shouldn't say it. Maybe you shouldn't say it. Maybe you shouldn't do it. And respond in godly ways after interactions with Christians. Right? And so so in the moments, maybe strive. I know we're all imperfect in this, but, but maybe strive to respond in godly ways in the moment. But then also respond in godly ways after the moment. Meaning, let's, let us not be avoiding calls or texts, and I'm not saying that this is happening, I'm just, I'm just speaking in general, I'm not saying that this is happening in light of any of this, but just in thinking about the application, may we not be avoiding calls or texts and not showing up to things because we might be offended by a person or, or maybe we had a disagreement with somebody. No, the Bible calls us to work that mess out. The Bible calls us to work it out. We're, we're, we're talking about believers here who have the same spirit who God, in a supernatural way, has worked in our hearts, given us a new life. So we're talking about dealing with believers here. And so may we work it out. May we work it out. When we were in the world, we may have responded like this or that, right? We might have argued, or we might have fought to get the last word in a disagreement, but you are not, you and I are not in the world anymore, right? We're not in the world anymore. 
So we shouldn't respond the way the world does. We all must respond like how James tells us to, right? He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Lastly, may we all be quick to repent and forgive one another. And what I'm, what I'm harping on, what I, what I hope we all hear in this message throughout this entire time, is that we're talking about a resurrected life. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about how the resurrection has impacted all of our lives as Christians. We are now living and walking in a resurrected life, right? We'll see this in a second, right, that, that we are new creations in Christ. The old is past. So we're talking about, for believers, we are walking in a, a new life. We fall, we sin, we're imperfect. But may we strive to be godly. May we strive, I mean, the Bible calls us to, to be perfect as he is perfect, to, to be mature. Right, as that word is translated perfectly, like to be mature in Christ, to grow in maturity in Christ. And then this all makes sense, right, if you follow the logic here. If you follow the flow of the passage, look at verse 17, as I had just alluded to. What does it say? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Jesus did has crazy impact on us as Christians. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Like, we know what our lives were before we met Christ. We know the filth, the sin. Our thoughts, and not saying we still don't struggle with thoughts or struggle with different things, but we know just how we were. We loved our sin. We hated Jesus. Now we love Jesus, and we should hate our sin. This is what the resurrection has done. This is what Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection has done for those who know him. You and I are new creations. You and I, <clears throat> excuse me, you and I have been born again. You've been born again. We've been born again. I know that sounds crazy, and even when we think about it today, it's like, how can someone be born again? Like, can someone go back into their mother's womb and be born again? Well, we know that that's not true. Jesus spoke to this when a religious leader named Nicodemus came to him with the same type of questions. You remember this in John chapter 3? This is what Jesus says. He says, first off, he tells him that you must be born again. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus comes and he's like, well, how can this be? How can this happen? Can someone go in, back into their mother's womb and be born again? And then Jesus answers him in verse 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus right here is talking about a spiritual birth. Right? He's talking about a spiritual birth here. So for those of us who are in Christ, you have been born again spiritually. The old man is dead. 
and we got to keep it dead. We got to continue to kill it, right? That's what we are called to do. We see that in Luke 9.23 where Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him die to himself daily. Let him take up his cross and follow me, right? We see this in, in uh, Romans 8 where Paul tells us to, to die to self. We are to die to the flesh. We are to die daily. So every morning, I think it was Sho Baraka, a Christian hip-hop artist who said, he had an album years ago where he was like, every morning we wake up to die. Every morning we wake up to die. It's a, it is a, it's a morning to die where we die to ourselves and we live to Christ. So we have been born again spiritually. Your old life has passed away. And you and I now have a new life. You no longer are to live in your old ways like you once did. But now you live in a new way of life defined by Christ and his word. And this is a life worth living. This is a life worth living. This is point number two, right? This is the life that is worth living. A life that is in Christ. This is what Jesus' resurrection purchased for us, a new life, a new life, a better life, a life with him for all of eternity, right? Let us not be duped into believing that there is a better life outside of Christ. And let me, let me, let me just lean in just a bit lovingly and say, and, and please hear me when I, when I say this, there is no life outside of Christ. There is no life outside of Christ. In fact, life outside of Christ only leads to death. It only leads to death. So adults in the room, I know the culture. I see it. We all see it. I know the culture paints a picture of a life filled with stuff, with with getting stuff with riches, with nice cars, a big house, or whatever the case may be, stuff, 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 right? We're posting pictures with our stuff. You know what I mean? We're, we're trying to position ourselves to get more stuff. And I'm not saying you can't have stuff, right? I'm not saying we can't have these particular things. But what I am saying is that if we're finding our happiness in those things, then every time we seek happiness in those things, it will fail us. We won't find the happiness that we're longing for. We won't find the joy that we're longing for in the stuff, which can be good things. We won't find our happiness if that's our only aim. If we're like, if we get this, then I'll be happy. If I get this, then I'll have joy. It will fail us. I think about even the reports of famous people, right? I mean, you can Google this. You can look this up. You can find it. When they think about, uh, when you talk about, like, their wealth, and thinking about their wealth and them thinking about them finding the happiness that they were longing for, they, they did all of what they could do to get to the point that they are, but then they find it that when they got to the point that they're at, that they're not happy. They're not happy. They, they wanted to, to 
get to the top. They got there, and when they got to the top, they wanted to get more stuff. And they just find it that it became this unending loop, unending loop of I'm getting here, I got it, I want more, give me more. I need to be fulfilled by more. And it's an unending loop. I think Biggie said it best, right? Those of you who know Biggie, he says, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. The more stuff you get, the more stuff, when you try to stack it up and get it, this, that, and the third, and you find your happiness in it, the more problems come. The more lack of joy comes. The more lack of security and purpose may come. Because what you are searching for, you're looking in the wrong place. But what you need, you can find in Jesus. Find it in Him. And so may we all continue to look to Him. Kids in the room, students, don't think you all can have a great life without God. Now, as a parent, and I'm sure I can speak for all parents in the room, we want our children to have a great life, right? We want them to do great things. But Greater than that, bigger than that, we hope and pray that our children will live for Jesus if they aren't already and that they'll know that the best life is one that's lived with Jesus. Still can do great things. Still can kill it on this front and do that stand the third. Without Christ, don't mean nothing. With Christ... Glorify him with that thing. Show the world. Show off Jesus to the world. In whatever those gifts and talents that, the, that God has given you, show them off and glorify him. Make much of him. Show other young people that in Christ, there's a life worth living. And it is. So may we all, children, adults alike, continue to live a life worth living in Christ. May we find the life worth living in him alone. But not only does it provide, when we think about, so we're, we're talking about a resurrected life in ministry. Not only is it a life worth living in Christ, look what else it does. It gives us a ministry worth giving our lives to. This is the last point. Gives us a ministry worth giving our lives to. Point number three. A ministry worth giving our lives to. Look back with me at verse 18. It says, and this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First off, Paul lets us know, as I was mentioning earlier, that all of this is a supernatural work from God. That Paul can't boast in it, the other apostles can't boast in it, boast in it, none of us can boast in it. But our boast is in God. Only God can bring about this supernatural work. And then through Christ, He, God, reconciled us to Himself. And for those who have been reconciled, look at what else He did. He gave you, He gave me the ministry of reconciliation. So so God reconciles you. 
and then gives you the ministry of reconciliation. This is a beautiful thing. Now, this passage in its immediate context, <clears throat> excuse me, is referring to the apostles, right? But this applies to all Christians. So Christian, here today, you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So then what is reconciliation? Well, Paul gives us a definition in the next verse. Look back with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Allergies. Let me take a sip. I feel like the pollen is just like attacking your throat. Look back with me at verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Right? So this is what reconciliation is. So what it is is that you and I had beef with God, and God sent his son to squash the beef. Right? Better yet, Christ is our mediator. He is our peace treaty. He came and he stood between God and man and took the beef that God had with you and I and took on the punishment as a result of that beef. And because of that, and because of that alone, God didn't count your trespasses against you or me because of Jesus. He took the beef. He became your peace treaty and my peace treaty. And trespasses here is another word for, for sin, meaning, you think about, so sin, you missed the mark, or trespasses, uh, meaning just like when you see a sign that says no trespassing. I used to see those a lot in, in my worldly days, and I didn't listen, and I continued on, and, and got in trouble for it, right? But, like, you see a trespassing sign in someone's yard or in a business, you know you're not supposed to go in there. It says no trespassing. So you know, because the sign, because it's the law, that's the law, that you should not go in there. And then if you do, then you've gone further than you were supposed to. You violated that law. Well, in the same way, we've all trespassed against God. We've all trespassed against God. We've all gone too far where God told us not to. And because of that, we violated his law, his commands. But because of Jesus, God doesn't count those trespasses against us, and we can come to him through Christ. It's like Jesus is holding another sign in the ground that says, trespasses come through me. All are welcome to God. So come to him. You are welcome to God. And he has given us, he has entrusted us, with the message of reconciliation. So believers, you and I have been entrusted with the gospel. What that means is, so it's the message of reconciliation. Entrusted here meaning that you and I have a responsibility. We are all given the same responsibility to obey the good news and to proclaim the good news, right? To proclaim the gospel and obey the gospel. So every Christian holds this responsibility, right? It's not just for pastors. It's not just for those gifted in evangelism or missionaries. It's that every believer is responsible. We've all been entrusted with the gospel. We see it even in Timothy that, that God tells believers that we are to guard the gospel. The church is to 
guard the teaching of the church. We are to guard the right teaching of the book. So we've all been entrusted with this responsibility. And we've all been given this responsibility. And not only a responsibility, but it's a privilege. It's also a privilege. God has reconciled us and given us the very, I mean, just think about this. God has reconciled you and me. And then he's given us the very message that reconciled us to go and give to others so that they too might be reconciled to him. That's crazy. That's mind-blowing. That's amazing. That's grace that God has given us. I mean, he's reconciled us. Then he gives us the message, the very same message of reconciliation. Go to tell others that they might too experience reconciliation with God. Even so, as the text continues on, God has made us ambassadors for Christ. He's made us ambassadors. Look at verse 20 with me again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the word ambassador here means messenger, right? Or or someone who represents a higher authority, right? We have different types of ambassadors, right? We have ambassadors like, for example, the U.S. ambassador who represents the president in our country before other countries, et cetera, et cetera. We even have brand ambassadors. And some of you all know what I'm talking about when you think about brand ambassadors, right? These are folks who get hired for a company to create a buzz for the company by promoting their products and helping that company grow their brand, right? But for the Christian, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are messengers for God a higher authority, God, representing him before the world. And guess what? We don't have to create the buzz for him. God is the buzz. And so we get to show him off wherever we go. As ambassadors for Christ, we get to show him off. We get to proclaim his message. We are messengers of the very God who created heaven and earth and who created you and I, who created everything. We get to be mouthpieces for him. That's mind-blowing, that God would make sinful men and women like you and me ambassadors for him, proclaiming his name so that others, too, might know him and represent him before the world. And just as the text says, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I implore you which means beg. That word implore means to to beg earnestly. I I beg you, be reconciled to God today. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus by faith. Once again, today, may today be the day of salvation for you. Don't delay. Tomorrow, I mean the next second, next breath you take isn't even promised. Turn to Christ. Believe upon the Son by faith. Lastly, look at verse 21 as we come to a close. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what God has done in Christ? It's an amazing thing. This verse is known as as the great exchange. This is what this verse has been coined. It's called like the great exchange. What this means is, is that for our sake, Jesus became something he was not. 
Something that he did not know that wasn't in his nature, sin. But in exchange of him becoming that, he gives us something we were not. Something we didn't know that wasn't in our nature, righteousness. This is the great exchange. Jesus taking our sin, giving us his righteousness, imputing, giving us his righteousness. The great exchange. So Jesus was born of human flesh. He put on sinful nature, but never sinned. Went to the cross bearing all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. Died for it all. And in exchange, offers us his righteousness, holiness, and a right standing before God. This is wonderful news for Christians and non-Christians alike. In that you can be forgiven of all of your sin. And if you have been forgiven of all of your sin, that's grace and mercy that only God has brought about in your life, Christian. If you're not a Christian, that you can be forgiven of all of your sin. That Jesus gladly takes your sin and gladly wants to give you his righteousness and give you a new life with him. So this Easter today, may we all be reminded that Jesus died a death worth dying. That because of his death worth dying, it then purchased for us a life worth living. And then because of the life worth living that he has granted us, he then also commissions us and grants us a ministry worth giving our lives to. This is the resurrected life and ministry. This is what our lives are to be defined by and to know and what we are all called to minister. Be reconciled to God. He's reconciled us. He gives us the message to go and tell others be reconciled. So may we do that faithfully, joyfully, and boldly and urgently by God's grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, this time once again um, where we've been able to, yeah, remember you and remember what you've done and what great grace was on display in the Lord Jesus coming and living and dying out of love for us and being raised from the dead on the third day, offering eternal life in him for all who would repent and believe by faith in him. We thank you, God, that this message is still true and will always remain true and that this message is still impacting souls. Over 2,000 years later, people coming into this realization, this understanding, this truth, you revealing yourself to people, you revealing yourself to, to those of us in this room who know you, and that you are willing to reveal yourself to those who in the room who may doubt, who may not know you yet. God, we pray for all of us that you would continue to this truth of your word, and this reality of a resurrected life in ministry, let it, let it, uh, let it pour over us, Lord. May, it, may we be 
the men and women that you have called us to be. May we continue to be the men and women that you've called us to be, living a life in light of what you've done, pleasing and acceptable to you, and on a mission together, seeking to proclaim your name to all that we come in contact with, all the people we come in contact with. May we do that faithfully, Lord. Help us to do that, Lord. May we all leave from here. even the more impacted by your truth, Lord. May none of us, whether we're Christian or not, may none of us leave the same than how we came in. Do it, we pray, and for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name.